This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Here's a story that intersects technology, medicine, and disability. A 62-year-old man with Parkinson's disease is walking again. This occurred two years after he received an implant that stimulates nerves in his spine. The story is coming out of a university hospital in Switzerland, and Mark Aflalo has a few more of the details. Mark is the co-host of Access Tech Live, and Mark is in Montreal, Quebec. Hello, sir. Hello, sir. How are you today? Mark, I'm great. The story is really interesting. I'm always I'm always keen yeah. to sort of understand the biomedical and technology field and the intersection. Let's start with the spinal implant itself. What is known about the implant itself? Well, it's still in its experimental phase, so they're calling it an experimental device. They're actually calling it a neuroprosthetic. And what happens is it delivers small electrical pulses to the spinal cord with the goal of improving mobility for patients with advanced Parkinson's. So there's two parts to it. There's an electrode that's placed against the spinal cord and an actual electrical electrical impulse generator, lots of words here, um, implanted under the skin near the abdomen. So that's that's the device itself. Why the spine versus the brain? So much of the conversation about the biomedical and technology field has focused on the brain of late. Why the focus on the spine? So when we think about the brain, typically implants in the brain are designed to create the impression of sensory information. So someone who, for example, might have lost a limb and no longer has the nerve endings in that area, the brain can stimulate certain areas to make it seem like you have those senses. So, in you know... It basically tells the brain that something is going on. Now, in this case, they went with the spine because they wanted to focus on actually activating the leg muscles for walking. The patient himself, you know, it wasn't the problem wasn't getting the message from the brain to the muscles that said, hey, go ahead and walk. That was working fine. It was the actual motor function in the muscles that needed to be stimulated and need to be stimulated for actual walking, hence the spine and the muscles itself. So what are some of the results from the testing so far? So uh, incredible results. I mean, he's walking up to six kilometers. The implant itself um, has been insane. Here's the cool thing is what what happens is is the the implant itself maps the patient's spinal cord. So it knows the exact locations in the spinal cord to send the signal to the muscles to actually move. And it adapts to what the patient is actually doing. So the sensors in the legs will then communicate back and forth in real time in, in time that you and I couldn't even measure, allowing him to actually walk again and get those little electrical pulses from the spinal cord to the actual muscle itself to get those muscles working, which is absolutely insane. And not only does it adapt, but it also learns from its previous experience. So depending on what it's doing, when it's doing, it can actually learn and adapt so that as he gets stronger and is able to stimulate those muscles, it can actually learn and continue going. There's all this talk about uh, intelligence in technology. What you're describing at the tail end there, 
is what I would identify or label as intuition, right? The technology is actually <laughs> adaptable in real time. The technology has a sense of intuition. That really fascinates me about the prospect of biomedical accessibility and disability. Yeah, and I mean, that, and that raises all the questions about, you know, um, you know, is it more like a human because it's actually being able to, to sense these things? But really, at the end of the day, there's not much to worry about here because it's programmed to read all this information and it's programmed to take that information and and alter its own algorithms in the process. So it really is somebody who has designed and programmed this to adapt to this particular user's case. Obviously, you know, we talked about, you know, being two years before he's able to walk again. It, it took that amount of time to map the movement of the spinal cord and, and the impulses. So can you imagine when it comes to a brain, mm. the minute mapping and details that needs to go into it? It's absolutely insane. Staying with the theme of technology and medicine, a group of Waterloo-based workers have created a chatbot. It's designed to answer questions about breast cancer. Now, obviously, Mark, a chatbot is never a substitute for a doctor, but what does this chatbot provide? So it's called askellen.ai, and, and what it does is it lets users interact with, um, uh, you know, an, an AI person that has the tone and experience of a specific breast cancer survivor, Ellen Winters Robinson. She recently wrote a book, so they've fed that book into the AI model, and they've trained it. And based on that, it's able to respond to questions that actually engage in conversation designed to offer support, information about breast cancer. Of course, it also draws on the knowledge from the book. Um, it adapts to the user. So if it's talking to somebody that it realizes is a bit younger, it doesn't have to give too daunting of information or too complex of information. It's able to answer in the, in the proper tone. And really it's designed to be a resource for people to imagine almost like a search engine that you can interact with on a human to human basis. So if you have emotion that it's conveying or you're trying to ask hard questions, it can actually be there, obviously not to substitute a doctor, but to give you access to that information in a way that's a little bit more contextual than someone who might be, you know, a stiff kind of, you know, doctor with a tie on a kind of thing. Mark, another edition of Access Tech Live hits the airwaves on the vast network that is Accessible Media Inc., AMI-TV, in one hour and two minutes. What do oh, you have lined up for this afternoon's program? Um, very, very cool stuff. We're going to be talking about prosthetics, and we're going to be talking about the intersection of this kind of stuff and how it kind of fits into accessibility. Greg Westlake is joining us. We're going to be talking to a company, Autowalk, and Mike Buckley is going to be with us from Be My Eyes because he was at OpenAI's conference earlier this week, and mm. there's some really cool announcements that came out of that that specifically affect their app and what they're doing. Excellent. Mark, thank you for this. Have a lovely day out there in Montreal. Have a great show. Thank you, Dave. That's Mark Flalo, one of the co-hosts of Access Tech Live. You can catch that show noon Eastern time at on AMI-TV. You can find The Pulse on AMI-audio on the weekends. Joita Gupta is going to continue her three-part series on profiling the 2023 inductees into the Canada Disability Hall of Fame. This week, she chats with Paralympian and politician Michelle Stillwell. That's The Pulse, weekends, 2 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-audio. Of course, you can... Find The Pulse on major podcasting platforms and YouTube. Coming up next, They Shall Not Grow Old is a 2018 documentary about World War I. Michael McNeely commemorates Remembrance Day with a discussion on the film. But first, here is Paris, the Parasport update with Greg Westlake. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Hello and welcome back to the Parasport update. I'm Greg Westlake. 
we open the show on the sun-soaked Mediterranean shores of Barcelona, Spain. For the NEC Wheelchair Singles, Masters, and ITF Wheelchair Doubles Masters Tennis Tournament. Kelowna's Rob Shaw and his doubles partner Heath Davidson of Australia entered the quad doubles main draw. In the opening match, the duo defeated Maseric of Slovakia and Silva of Brazil, 6-4, 6-3, before falling to Lapthorne of Britain and Wagner of the United States. Shaw and Davidson qualified for the finals against the Dutch duo of Schroeder and Vink. In the finals, the Dutch pair seized the title, winning 1-6, 1-6. Next up for Rob Shaw is the Para Pan Am Games as he joins a team of six Canadian wheelchair tennis athletes jetting to Chile. The largest tennis team ever at a Games features Anne-Marie Dolanaire, Barry Henderson and Natalia Lenuccia making their debuts, while Thomas Venos and Mitch McIntyre return with Shaw from Lima 2019. In France, Canada's women's sitting volleyball team landed for training ahead of the 2023 Sitting Volleyball World Cup taking place in Cairo, Egypt, spanning from November 11th to 18th. The World Cup acts as a qualification opportunity for Canada's men's and women for the Paris Paralympics, and the winner of the tournament secures that spot for the Games. And that's our time for this edition of the Paris Sport Update, presented by AMI-audio. Check back next week for more news from the world of adaptive sports. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. The Walrus is Canada's conversation, and you're invited to take part. Download AMI's Voices of the Walrus, where professional narrators read selected articles from the magazine. Available wherever you download your AMI podcasts.